Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 44 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 18th of July, 2010, entitled, God, the Holy Spirit, a Review. And the Bible readings are taken from the book of Jude and John, chapter 14, verses 12 to 26. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Before we start with our reading here, just a note, I suppose that uh, it's been almost uh, two months since we've left our, our series when we began our missions conference and so many things going on. And so I've kind of uh, reverted things around because I uh, had planned on, uh, we've got at least one, possibly two, hopefully one more sermon on the Holy Spirit uh, before we move on. But um, as we look here this morning, I planned on doing a review of those things at the end, but since we've been away from it for a while, I think we need to just go back and refresh in our minds of the things, because we've looked at so many things over the past year in our series on uh, contending for the faith. And, uh, and so, God willing, this morning and this evening, we're going to uh, try to just uh, refresh our minds of the things that we have, have covered and look at those things because it's, it's very easy. And, of course, when we began in this series, uh, we said that, uh, of course, we live in a day when so many times the Word of God has such a small place in the lives of Christians and in the lives and worships of many of the churches of our land. And a lot of people, when it comes to what we call apologetics of being able to actually give a reason for their faith, a reason for what they, uh, they believe. Uh, they find it very challenging. Uh, they know, well, I believe this, but they only believe it because they've heard it somewhere or so-and-so has said it. And folks, we need to be built upon the solid foundation which we've looked at at the Word of God. And there are certain fundamental, cardinal, foundational truths of that faith that the Bible says that we've got to be willing to stand up and literally fight for, that there is no room to move on those areas. And we've spent the better part of the last year looking at a number of those things. Let's first of all just read from God's Word as we refresh our mind from, uh, I guess, the. Uh, uh, let's just turn to the, to the book of Jude itself. And let's read once again the passage of Scripture that we use for our springboard for really uh, all of this, this series. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, 
how the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also there are filthy dreamers. These filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. What they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved... Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of of his holy and exceeding with, with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, for this time that we can have together. Lord, we commit it into your hands, knowing that if anything is to be received or accomplished here today, it will be through the power of thy Spirit. Lord, you accomplishing that within us and through us and for us that we cannot do for ourselves. For that we pray at this time. 
Lord, you know the souls that are here this morning. You know if there's any that are lost that need to be saved. You know if there are any that are backslidden and away from you. And Lord, you know the Christians. You know where they need to be strengthened and challenged and built up in the faith that we're talking about. So we pray that you would do that which only you can as you work in the lives and hearts of each one, that we would be receptive and responsive to that which you speak to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. And of course, we have arrived at the part in our series on contending for the faith. But really, he was speaking of there in verse 19 when he said, These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit, capital S, having not the Holy Spirit. These that were causing the problems and are causing the problems are not the ones that have and are controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We find that it is that power that can only come from God himself that we need if we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, if you recall, as we began looking here in the book of Jude over a year ago, we looked first of all at earnestly contending earnestly contending. And we looked at four things as we looked through this. First of all, that there is a fight to be fought. There is a fight to be fought, and that's precisely what he's challenging us here too. That fight to be fought is for a faith in its fullness, not just bits and pieces and the parts that we feel good about, but in all of its fullness and all that he's given us. A fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm. If we're going to have the proper footing, if we're going to be able to contend for this faith, we have the firm footing that we need right here. Our faith is not based upon men's ideas and men's emotions and all of these things. It's based upon God's Word itself. There is a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm against a foe that's a fraud. <laughs> well, there are many of those out there in our day that are pretending to have all of this religious and spiritual light, many of them even tagging themselves Christians as us, and yet they're not one of us because they have not the Spirit. They have not the Holy Spirit of God. And we saw secondly, after earnestly contending for the faith, but that would require exposing the error, exposing the error. And of course, we looked at much of the apostasy historically. Remember, apostasy, apostates are those that have had the truth but have turned away from it. It's not those that have never had it in the first place. But there's much apostasy within the church where the truth once was. It's been turned away from. We looked at apostasy historically. We looked at apostasy here, right now, in our time, recognizing the present, their activities, and a true appraisal of those things that they're doing. Next, we looked as we continued in our series, earnestly contending, experiencing confidence and enjoying contentment while earnestly contending. You see, we can go into this battle with confidence. 
We don't have to stand back and be afraid of our enemies. We can go in with confidence and we can enjoy the contentment that is ours in belonging to the Lord and knowing that he'll protect us and knowing that we're on that firm foundation, experiencing confidence and enjoying contentment while earnestly contending. And of course, then we moved away from the book of Jude, though that is still our primary springboard. And we began to ask ourselves, okay, what is the faith that we must fight for? What is it that we must be willing to not give an inch on? And we've looked at a number of things over this period that we've called the fundamentals of the faith, the foundation of that faith the very essentials of that faith. And we've looked at things that are fundamental that ultimately, if you do not believe or hold to, then you're not part of the same faith. That's simple. And we've looked at other things that are important to us as a local church that maybe others would disagree with us on, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet if we are to be unified as a body, we must be in agreement on many of these things. We began in our fundamentals by looking at the very basis of our faith, the inspired Word of God. That's where we must begin. Why? Because we've already said that is where our foundation lies, folks. And, of course, we said, oh, yes, it's definitely confusing. <laughs> Everybody out there that believes everything under the sun that has to do with religion, they say it's because it's the truth. And it's what God says. All of Christianity would say that they believe the Bible and that their faith is based upon it. But I've said to you, you, when you stand before God one day, He's not going to ask what you believe because the Baptists believed it or the Pentecostals believed it or the Anglicans believed it or any other faith that you want to call the names of. Right here's what you're going to be judged by. And this is why this is where we must go to. And this is where your faith must be grounded and founded upon. Yes, and we'll even still get to this part. Yes, you need to be a part of a local church, a local body where you can be unified and where you can grow in that faith. But when you stand before God one day, it will not be an excuse because the preacher said this. If the preacher says wrong, the preacher will account for that. But that's not an excuse for you because you have the Word of God. We said as we looked at the basis of our faith, the inspired Word of God, we said that it was inspired, that it was inerrant, that it was infallible, that it was indestructible, that it was indisputable, that it was inclusive of all that God needs for us. The basis of our faith, the inspired, God-breathed Word of God that we have. Then we move next to the eternal existence of a triune God. The eternal existence, and we simply looked. Our God, we have one God that is present in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He always has been. We move next to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We had a number of sermons there. We looked at a number of fundamental things concerning our Lord Jesus Christ, his virgin birth, his vicarious death, 
He died in our place for our stead. His victorious resurrection. Folks, you cannot, you cannot be believing and be a part of the same faith that we are if it's based on anything other than God's Word. If that faith is in anyone except Jesus Christ who was virgin born, who was vicariously hung up on that cross in our stead, who victoriously rose from the grave and fourthly his visible return. He is himself the same one that died upon that cross. He is returning again and it will be a day that everyone will recognize and know him for who he is. And we spent quite a few, I think it was about 10 or 12 sermons as we looked at the visible return of the Lord Jesus Christ, we looked at a number of things that were important to us as a church, that we make no bones. We believe that the church is going to be raptured out here before, prior to the seven years of tribulation that will come to this earth. And that following that seven years of tribulation, that we will return with our Lord to this earth where he will literally set up his thousand-year kingdom and reign upon this earth for a thousand years, which at the end of, we will see the great white throne of judgment. And, of course, we looked at a number of things, and most of you have got your charts and timelines and all those things that we looked at during that time. And then we looked at the other thought that is fundamental to our faith, and that is nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood. In a day when many churches are taking the hymn books out of their churches that have hymns in it because they talk about blood and people don't want to sing and hear about those things. Folks, you cannot take the blood away from our faith and still have the same faith. And we looked at those thoughts that it's the blood that equates to life. That it's the blood that effectuates sacrifice. That it's the blood that establishes the covenant. That it's the blood that eradicates sin. Nothing else in the world will do it. It's the blood that emancipates the soul that will set you free from sin. And nothing else, nothing else will do it. And if you take that away from our faith, it is no longer the same faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It is foundational to all that we are and all that we believe. Then we look to something else that is fundamental in what we believe, and that's the truth about Satan. The truth about Satan, that he was a person. We look at his position and his purpose, his power, his providence and our protection. And we looked at a series of about a half a dozen sermons in understanding who our enemy is and that he is a real person. He's not just some black idea in people's minds. He's real, and he's our enemy. But we need not fear him. We need to put on the battle armor, and we need to get in the battle, and we need to fight against all that he's trying to do in this world. And then we moved to where we want to direct our attention back to. And all of those, that was something like 36 sermons up to that point, all of those up to that point, they're all on the website. They're all there. They're all numbered right the way down through. And if you've missed them and you want to go back to them, they're all important, not because I preach them, but because of the truth that they are and how foundational they are. Then we moved into this thought that we're on now, and that is God 
the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. As we look at God the Holy Spirit, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles again, and I'd like to read to you as we remind ourselves of where we began with this thought. John chapter 14, verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. When he dwelleth with you and shall be in you, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. My Father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever. I have said unto you. Of course, as we begin to look in our series on the Holy Spirit, we can't go back and go through all of the things that we have already looked at there. But I'd like to remind you that, you know, we have already established that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all are equally God. That's foundational. If we are to understand what God is teaching us about the Holy Spirit, then we must begin with the fact that He is a person, a person of the Godhead. He's not some kind of remote power, though He contains all the power in the world. <laughs> He is not just a mere existence, but he is a person. We find that the Bible teaches us 
He didn't begin at his inception when he was born of Mary, but that we find him present with God eternally. And you can go back to that message and you can, you can find that just as surely as God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was present in eternity past. And there is no question as we looked at a number of things that make it very clear. The person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ here in speaking these words that we've read in the Gospel of John chapter 14, he speaks of sending one, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he says. You'll find that I don't know how the Bible could be much clearer, and even there he tells you clearly in verse 26 exactly who the Comforter is that he's going to send as our paraclete to be alongside us. Yet you'll find that even today, there are many of those in the Muslim faith and whatnot that would tell you that that's Muhammad that's coming there. Folks, this is Jesus promising that just as sure as he was there physically present as a person then. Notice that we said that what a statement to make in verse 12. When he said, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. Because Jesus Christ was leaving his physical body in this earth, and he was going again unto the Father, he was sending the Holy Spirit to be the one alongside us, and he would dwell within us. No longer would God be working through just the one body, but he'd be working through every believer where that presence could be not because any of us could accomplish within ourselves that which was greater than Christ, but because Christ himself could accomplish through all of us more than he could accomplish in one body. We find that he was a person. And, of course, as we looked at that, we defined that person and who he was and what he was as a person. We saw his intelligence and his emotion and his, and his volition and all of these things as we looked at the Holy Spirit. And of course, not only do we see that he was a person, but then we looked at the purpose. The purpose. What was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? We had the promise that was made by Jesus Christ himself that we read. We know that he is a person, a real person that is part of the Godhead. But what was his purpose? Why was he being sent? Well, we, we looked at a number of things, and these are vital, and these are very important. In chapter 14, verse 12, we saw that it was the transferring of Christ's work, the transferring of Christ's work not just to one body but to the entire body of Christ. You see, it's still the body of Christ that's doing the work. As you and I live today, it was Christ in one body then, his physical body, that was about to go and shed his blood and die upon the cross. It's still the same Christ doing the work in the body of Christ. That When you are a born-again believer, that you become part of that body. And of course, if you'll recognize, I used the illustration at that time of a glove. You know, that, that glove, you can have it there, and it's got all the fingers and all the, the place for the body and everything, but that glove can do absolutely nothing on its own 
to your hand is within it. And you can pick things up and you can do things and you can do all the things that it can do, but not without your hand within it. Folks, we can accomplish nothing without Christ within us. We're just as limp and useless as that glove without a hand within it. But thank God, he has come in. He is present within us. And we see that the purpose of his work, the purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit was first of all that Christ himself, that Christ himself could work within the entire body of Christ. Through the second thing that we saw, which we saw in verse 16 to 20, and then again in verse 23, and that was that Jesus said, notice in verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Jesus Christ and the Father through the Spirit living and dwelling within each and every one of us. So we had the transferring of Christ's work from the one physical body to the entire body of Christ, the tendency in the believer, Jesus Christ, taking up that he may abide with you forever, that he may dwell with you, that he shall be in you. All of these things are here. Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling within. And, of course, that comes back, if you'll recall, that one of the things that we'll be looking at later, we talked about that idea of a tenant, of somebody being a temporary guest or a permanent resident. It makes a lot difference of what kind of control that they have over a situation. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came that even greater things could be done as the work of Christ, the work of Christ, Christ doing the work, will be transferred from one physical body to the entire body of Christ. He came for the purpose of taking up residence within every child of God. Thirdly, we found in verse 26, the Father will send him in my name. He shall teach you all things for the teaching of God's Word. Deep men with all of their intelligence. Men can give you lots of facts from this book. Men can come up with all of their great theological ideas. But folks, the only one that can really teach you spiritual things is the Spirit himself, God himself. The author of the book can tell you what he means by it. We don't need men to tell us what God actually meant. We need the Holy Spirit to teach us all things that God has given to us. Not only do we see him coming to transfer the work of Christ to the entire body of Christ, the tendency in the believer in the teaching of God's word, but fourthly, with the testifying of Christ. We find that both in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 15, he says, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, Jesus said, He shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. 
You see, the work of the Holy Spirit is to testify of Christ. He's not there to show how great he is. We accept him. We honor him as God. But his purpose is to testify of Christ and his work. Basically, the purpose of the Holy Spirit was for the transforming of sinners. Chapter 16, verses 6, I'm sorry, verse 7 to 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit's purpose in coming was first of all that the work of Christ might be carried on and that work would take place through the body of Christ which are the believers, because he would take up tenancy. He would dwell within each and every one of them while he was dwelling there. He is able to teach us the truth, all things of God, all of those spiritual things, and testify of Christ. As Christ is the one that must be seen, he's the only one that can accomplish the work and the transforming of sinners. That's the way only the only way that anybody will ever truly be saved. The Holy Spirit must convict them of their sin in their flesh. They'll never know that. They'll never recognize that. You can't get somebody to say enough prayer. You can't get them to do enough religious things if it's not God himself working through the Holy Spirit. It was his coming that will convict men of their sin. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, the Apostle Paul said, to convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, then we saw, sixthly, Jesus Christ himself. He was the one that was sending him. He's the one that's given us all these truths. Why? What was the purpose in the Holy Spirit coming? We said in chapter 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For again, he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You see, he's there for the transmitting of all truth. He's there to guide us through all truth. Yes, he's the teacher, but it's not just a bunch of facts that are just taught so that you can know things. He's there to transmit all truth that our lives can be guided and lived according to God according to what God wants of us. And then we gave you a seventh one, which was also there in verse 14. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Not only is he 
as we've already seen, testifying of Christ. But the Holy Spirit is targeting Christ's glory. (laughs) He's testifying of Christ. He's pointing men to Christ. He is the only way that men can find Christ. But in doing so, the Holy Spirit's not taking credit for it himself. (laughs) He's targeting it all for Christ's glory. He will glorify Jesus Christ and him alone. He's like, I use the illustration of like, you know, when you're traveling down the highway at night, they put the big billboards up that they might be able to get your attention and show you something to to get you to do something, usually to spend your money somewhere to do something that somebody can make a profit of. See, the truth of all truths, the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit be like that spotlight. Doesn't matter how dark it is around, he'll shine the spotlight of truth. He'll target the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory in doing so. So we looked at these things, folks. We looked at the purpose. This is why Jesus said that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. I told you in the beginning that there are very few teachings. If you can find even one, there are very few that can even come close to comparing to a teaching or doctrine in God's holy word that there is so much confusion about. And yet there's things that is so vital, so foundational to our faith, the work that he is to accomplish. So we see the promise that Jesus Christ himself made of sending the Holy Spirit. We see the person that he is a person, one of the Godhead, God himself. And we see the purpose. Jesus said he was sending him, and Jesus told exactly why he was going to send him to this earth. And we looked fourthly at the practice, okay? That's what Jesus said. So what happened when he sent him? We said we're looking at really two areas. First of all, a practice that relates to conversion And secondly, a practice that relates to control. The first thing that we looked at was a practice that relates to conversion, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, there's so many things taught. But I tried to give you simply from God's Word, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. As we looked into God's Word and we saw what the Word even meant, what does it mean by being baptized in the Holy Spirit? literally and metaphorically. We said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can check it out in your Bible, it's mentioned seven times in the Word of God. Five of those instances, it's mentioned prophetically of something that is yet to come in the future, of something that would be happening. One time it's mentioned historically of an event that had already taken place. And one time... It's given to us didactically, which means for the purpose of teaching, for instruction about it. And we looked. We won't go back and read them all. In Mark chapter 3, I mean, in Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, verse 8, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, and John chapter 1, verse 33. Each of the four Gospels, we find that this future event that would be taking place is mentioned. And then the fifth time in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. So you got Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, 
You have Mark chapter 1, verse 8, Luke chapter 3, verse 16, and John chapter 1, verse 33, and then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. In all of these instances, the Bible spoke of something that was going to happen. The next passage that's found in the Bible that mentions is in Acts chapter 11, verses 15 and 16, when it speaks of it historically as something that has already happened, past tense, as on us at the beginning, something that had already happened to the apostles. And of course, we looked at a number of things, but then we turn our attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. I'd like to read that one. This is the one passage that is given to us concerning this matter for instruction. Notice what he says beginning in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Listen, for, the, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And of course, at this point, the Word of God goes on. And he uses as an illustration the human body that we know so well to give us an illustration of the spiritual body of Christ. Attention is given to the spiritual gifts that are used within the body. Now we can get into a lot of things there, the temporary sign gifts that were used for the apostles and those that are there. But folks, every child of God, I believe if we study out the Scripture, every child of God is gifted by the Holy Spirit to accomplish something within the body. And we're not all given the same. And that's what he gives here as he illustrates through and he shows how that the body is made up of all of these different people, but there's only one Holy Spirit. 
And he works through each and every one of us. The purpose is for the whole. It's not for me. The purpose is that all of us working together, that Jesus Christ, again, can be seen and magnified in all of it. And of course, as we looked at these things, we looked at a couple of simple facts, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we study what God is teaching us about it, he told us about this event that was going to happen and about the event that did happen, and then he instructs us on it, and he shows us that the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes every Christian. It's not something that some have and some don't. He said very, very clearly there in verses 12 and 13, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, capital S, by one Holy Spirit, are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, it doesn't matter. Whether we be bond or free and have been all made to drink into one spirit. He says there's only one body. Now, the body's got lots of different members, just like your body does. Lots of different parts that work together. But all those parts make up one body. And he says, so also is Christ. That's the same way that the body of Christ works. There's only one Holy Spirit. (laughs) And each and every one of us, he says, has been baptized into that one body. We find that he goes to great detail here to show who they are. doesn't make any difference whether we're Jew or Gentile or nationality. doesn't make any difference whether we're bond or free. Simple truth is our positions don't matter. Our backgrounds and nationalities don't matter. There's only one body, there's only one Holy Spirit that we're baptized into. We saw that it includes every Christian, and we saw that it instantly occurs at every Christian's conversion. It instantly occurs when someone is truly born again and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. Of course, if you look back into Acts chapter 11, This was the one time that it was spoken of historically. And I said it's interesting as we look at this event that is spoken of after the event. In verse beginning in verse 11, And behold, immediately there were three men already come into the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me, and the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these sick brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house, and we showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house, what? Shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. You see, it was to take place in verse 14, so that they shall be saved. 
In verse 50, the same thing that had taken place with them at Pentecost. He remembered that the word of the Lord, that you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. The gift, he said, like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who the gift was given to, to them that believed. And here now again, that they could be granted repentance. You see, what's important? Belief, repentance, salvation, eternal life, baptism with the Holy Spirit. They're all tied together in the instruction. And when we look at it historically at what took place here, we find that the baptism of the Holy Spirit includes every Christian. It instantly occurs at every Christian's conversion. And folks, it inducts every Christian into the church into the body of Christ. That's what we saw again in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The local church, the assembly, we'll be looking at all those things in time to come before by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. It identifies every Christian with Christ. You know, water baptism identifies us with the local church. But that accomplishes absolutely nothing if the baptism of the Holy Spirit hasn't already taken place in your life today. It's the Holy Spirit. His purpose in being sent was that you might come to recognize that he might convict you of sin. That was part of his whole purpose, his work, to carry on the work of Christ. His purpose in coming was that the lost might be saved. He's then working through those that already believe and through the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll show you as a lost person your need for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything the Holy Spirit does is to point you to Jesus Christ, that he might change your life, that he might be glorified, that you might be baptized into his one body, where his work has been transferred from that one physical body to that one spiritual body, the body of Christ on this earth, which right now you see visibly here this morning in this local assembly, in this local body, in this local church, we find that the Holy Spirit, you see, he's commanded all men everywhere to be saved. So I can honestly say to you this morning, God commands that you be baptized in the Holy Spirit, that you be baptized into his family, into the body. God willing, we'll come back this evening and we're going to look, we're going to look at this, the filling of the Holy Spirit and where that's taken us up to, that God willing, next Sunday, one of the greatest consequences currently, presently in your life as a child of God, if you honestly, genuinely are filled, with the Holy Spirit, then we should see the consequences of what's taking place here. One of the most visible things, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. You see, it's no good saying you're an orange tree if you're not bearing any oranges. <laughs> no good saying you're an apple tree if there's no apples on your branches. <laughs> if you're a Christian, there'll be fruit. That fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not us. It will come naturally if we're healthy, if He's in control. God willing, that's what we'll be looking at next Sunday. But here this morning, as we come to a close right now, and I know 
I know we took weeks going through this, and I know that I've jumped over a lot of things, but it's vital and it's important as we come back that we remember where we are and the important things that we've already seen in God's Word. It's important that we grasp the truths and know them when there's so much confusion about. And I've challenged you as always, go to God's Word. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ that I love dearly that have all kinds of different ideas about that. But that's not what I'm going to face God with one day. I trust and pray above all else that whatever else that people might be wrong about, that they're right about what it means to truly be born again and be a child of God. Folks, I'm challenging you to go to God's Word. I've tried to take not just a verse here or a verse there, and say, see what this means. We've tried to look at all of these passages over those weeks to ascertain what is it that God is really saying. What does God say about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That if you're here this morning and you're a child of God, then you've been baptized into that one body by that one Spirit. That's not where it should end. (laughs) And if you're here and you're not saved, If you've never been baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Now, that's not to say cruel. There's only two destinations, folks. God doesn't want you to spend eternity in hell. He wants you for that prepared place in heaven. But the only way that's going to happen is when the Holy Spirit does that work in your life that he was sent to do, that you are baptized into the one body, the bride of Christ, that'll be leaving here when the trumpet sounds. Because after that, it'll be too late. So my challenge to you this morning, do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, not that you're religious, not that you've prayed some prayer, not that you've signed some card, not that you've joined some church, not that you've been baptized 14 times, and the truth is, do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, that if you faced God right now, that you've been born again, that you can face Him in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't know that, you can know it today. And that's what we would like to share with you from God's Word, how you can leave here knowing that you're a child of God, that you're ready to face Him. Christians, may I encourage you. Yes, take confidence in the fact God Himself is living within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. Try to be here this evening, God willing. As we remind ourselves, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Remember these two works. One has to do with your conversion, but the other one has to do with control, God's control over your life. That's what we want to look at again this evening. Father, we thank you this morning for each one that is here and present. And Lord, we know that as we've tried to reset the stage after being away from these thoughts for a number of weeks, I pray today, I pray today, Lord, that if there be one here in our midst that has never truly put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they've never repented of their sins, then, Lord, I pray that through the power of the Spirit that we've been looking at and talking about here this morning, I pray that you would show them their need. I pray that they would not leave this place today and spend another day in that uncertainty. And I pray for every Christian here this morning that you can help them to take comfort and confidence in knowing that if they have put their faith in Christ, 
then by the Holy Spirit, they've been baptized into that one body, which is the body of Christ. They have a glorious future to look forward to. Father, I pray that as you deal with hearts this morning, Lord, that we as simple human beings would be responsive to your voice. Help us, Lord, do that which is necessary today, that all of us might leave here closer to the Lord and more like him than when we came. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.